The Linux Reality Podcast is sponsored by O'Reilly Media, spreading the knowledge of innovators through its books, online services, magazines, and conferences. Visit them today at O'Reilly.com. Welcome to episode 84 of Linux Reality. Uh, this is Chess Griffin, and um, for those of you who are joining us for the first time, welcome. I definitely encourage new listeners to go back and listen to the archived shows, uh, all 83 episodes of them, or those of your choosing, just because a lot of what we talk about in this podcast generally uh, builds on things we've talked about in the past. But actually, that's not so much the case in this particular episode, because in this one, I'm going to be talking about the new version of Ubuntu uh, 7.10. And I have to say up front a couple of things. First of all, the recording may sound a little bit differently. That's uh, that's just because I've got to go back and use my old iRiver, uh, the style of recording I did at the very beginning. I've uh, had some technical issues this week, so I've had to, to pull out the old iRiver to record this episode. So if it's, it doesn't sound as good, I, I apologize. Uh, also, this episode is going to be a little bit shorter than normal. Uh, I've got a really busy uh, week and a half or two weeks coming up, and uh, so anyway, this will be a little bit on the shorter side, but I did want to talk about Gutsy uh, Ubuntu 7.10 just because uh, I've actually had some emails from people asking me to talk about it, uh, so that's what we're going to get to this week. Okay, Ubuntu 7.10 Gutsy. Well... <laughs> There's been so much said and written about this release. It's unbelievable. Uh, the hype around Ubuntu is is staggering. Uh, I think I saw Pat from the Linux Link Tech Show say on his blog, or maybe he mentioned it on one of the, the TLLTS shows, that when Gutsy came out, there were like over 10,000 people at any one time in the forums there at UbuntuForums.org, which is just incredible. That's unbelievable. And, uh, you know, it's funny, too, about Ubuntu. Uh, for me personally, I mean, I really like Ubuntu a lot. It's based on Debian, which, of course, is one of my favorite distributions. I've never really, uh, r- you know, run Ubuntu at home on my own machines for any length of time. Now, so let me clarify by that, you know, what, what I mean by that. I do have it on my wife's laptop. That's uh, had Ubuntu for about a year now. And on one of my backup laptops, I have I have Ubuntu. Uh, but on my main workstations at home, as well as my main laptop, I've never actually used Ubuntu. I th- well, I should probably, I think I ran Breezy uh, for a, you know a solid period of time. Um, but I certainly test out every version of Ubuntu, and I use it, and I really like it. I really don't know why I haven't um, um, continued to use them, but just because I think I like playing. You know, I like playing with other distributions, but... Uh, so I've, but I'm certainly very familiar with with Ubuntu, and and you know, I mean, I enjoy it, uh, you know, a great deal. I think it's a, a fantastic distribution, uh, just in in a grand sense of things. Um, I know a lot of people have, or at least it seems like a lot of people have felt like this is a really solid release, and and yet I still hear other things, especially what I heard Dave Yates talk about on one of his most recent episodes, 
the issues that he was having with his virtual terminals where, you know, if you do Control-Alt-F2 to try to get to another terminal that, that was just a blank screen and stuff like that, it's just really, you know, there's always a, there's always little niggles like that. And, and what Dave mentioned I felt was a pretty serious bug. Um, I, mean, I feel like that's very serious uh, to not be able to get over to another console if you need to. Uh, but anyway, so for me, so I actually had, let me think about it now, uh, I actually had three no, that's right. I installed Gutsy on three systems, or I've got it on three systems now. Two of them were upgrades, and so that was my wife's laptop and my backup laptop. I did upgrades to those, and those were both regular 32-bit um, you know, Ubuntu. And then on my main workstation, which is a 64-bit machine, it's an Intel Pentium D, which is a 64-bit machine. I usually use just a 32-bit OS, but I decided I had some free space, so I decided to try... Uh, the Ubuntu uh, 7.10 64-bit version on my main production machine, uh, just to see how it see how it took. So let me you know talk about those. Let me talk about the two upgrades first uh, to these two laptops. Now these two laptops, one is a Dell uh, 700M, uh, and it is it has an Intel graphics chip. Uh, it's a widescreen laptop, pretty nice laptop, pretty light. It's got the extra battery, um, but it has, as far as chipsets and things, it's got the Intel graphics, you know, mostly Intel components. Uh, and as I said, it is a widescreen, 1280 by 800. And it's got a uh, Pentium M processor, uh, 1.4 gigahertz, I think, with 512 gigs of, uh, or, uh, megabytes of RAM. The other uh, laptop upgrade is my one of my backup uh, laptops. It's a ThinkPad. It's a uh, T42, also a Pentium M, 1.6 gigahertz, 512. No, actually, I bumped that RAM up to, I think it's got a gig of RAM now. Um, and, uh, and that's got an ATI card. That's got an ATI graphics card, ATI 9600, I think. Um, it's either 64 or 128 megabytes of graphics, you know, chipset RAM. So both of these I did as upgrades using just their graphical, you know, tool. You know, the little the little icon appeared up in the up in the top menu, telling you there were updates to Feisty. Both of them were running Feisty, so I did all these Feisty updates first, rebooted, had a fully updated Feisty system, and then I did the upgrade using that graphical tool to Gutsy. And both of them took maybe. You know, in between downloading and installing, I don't know, 45 minutes maybe, something like that, 30 to 45 minutes. And uh, both of them worked almost flawlessly, almost. But there were two things that happened on both of them. Um, well, one thing that happened on both of them, I should uh, actually, but then there were two different things that happened on the two different laptops. Uh, on both of them, once I rebooted, there were some... You know, so I did the full install, rebooted into Gutsy. Both of them gave me a GNOME settings daemon error message when I first booted into GNOME, and I've seen that message before over the over the years. And that usually means there's something messed up with the settings cache or something for for GNOME, either the panel or something. It just it gets confused about uh, what it thinks the state of the GNOME desktop is. I think what I did was I rebooted again, and then I think it went away. So that's no big deal. Um, but uh, so anyway, but I encountered that on both upgrades. Now for the Dell laptop with the Intel chipsets, or with the Intel chipset and the widescreen, that thing worked great. That's got an Intel a wireless card that, for some reason, was not associating it. It retained all my settings uh, for my 
um, encryption key in my, you know, uh, local net area, you know, uh, wireless network and everything, but it just wasn't associating. And I've had this before with network manager where sometimes it won't associate, won't associate. And so some, sometimes what I'll do is I'll actually click on it and click, you know, disable networking or disable wireless. And then I'll, I'll wait a minute and then I'll re-enable it. And usually that works. Um, and sometimes I'll even start deep, uh, restart Dbus or something. Uh, and I tried all of my usual tricks, and this thing just would not associate. I re-entered the key. I, you know, I reassociated with the network. I mean, I did everything under the sun that I could. And I don't know what happened. Um, I don't know why it wasn't reassociating. And so anyway, I rebooted. I hate, you know, it killed me to have to reboot because, like I said, I normally restart these services and things. And the reboot again worked this time. So I don't know what the deal was with that. Um, now, on my other laptop, the T42, that has got an Atheros wireless card that also had all my settings in there and all of that. The wireless worked just fine. All the settings crossed over WPA key. I mean, I didn't have any problems with wireless. I just got right back on the network. But the issue I had with the, um, with the ThinkPad was with regards to the ATI card. Now, with this being an ATI card, you know, it's got the open source driver, and that's what was running initially. Now, on the other laptop, I had seen how to, you know, enable comp is, and I, you know, I figured all of that out. So I did the same thing on the ThinkPad. I tried to enable comp is, and it kept telling me that it couldn't. It first gave me an error message saying that the composite extensions were not enabled. Now, I knew what that meant because I've just had this in, in, you know, other distributions and other things over the years. I mean, I knew that that was a setting in the xorg.conf file where you can enable the composite extensions. And I was really surprised that that wasn't enabled by default. I don't know why. Maybe there's probably a reason for it, but it wasn't. And I Googled around just to double-check that that's what this was. I found a bunch of stuff in the Ubuntu forums, and a lot of people were having the same problem. So... I opened up the xorg.com file. The extension section was there, but it was enabled, you know, and you can either put true or false, or you can also put a one or a zero, and it had a zero for false. And so I changed it to a one, restarted X, and then the composite extensions was fine. But that still didn't allow me to enable comp is. And it turns out the reason for that is because, well, actually, let me stop right there. I then installed the ATI proprietary driver to see if that would do it. So it installed that, downloaded it, restarted X or whatever, had the um, had the proprietary driver working. I saw it, you know, in LS mod, I think is what so I double checked it there. But so that was loaded, but I still wasn't getting comp is. And it I got no I couldn't figure out why. Well, then I figured out I think I found in the Ubuntu forms and comp is experts out there probably know this already. See, I'm not a comp is expert. I just don't really get into the eye candy. Um, in, you know, for that kind of stuff. So I've never really, I've never really used Compiz all that much. I mean, I've had it installed to test it out, but I, I don't use it on a daily basis. Well, anyway, turns out that the, um, uh, I guess the proprietary driver for ATI doesn't support. I guess it's AIGLX, and you've got to download a different X server package for XGL. And so once I found that, it was just an apt get install. I think it was X server XGL. I think was the package name. Restarted X again, then it worked fine. Uh, so no big deal, but you know I'm thinking again from new users' perspective. I mean, it was like it gave me all these great messages and all these cool graphical tools, but you know I can't imagine it's all that uncommon for someone to have one of these older 
uh, ATI cards, and if they're going to have Compass enabled by default, I would think that they would have some mechanism for dealing with a situation where someone has one of these old cards and they've got to re- they've got to download a new package. I mean, maybe just a little error message saying this is what you got to do or something along those lines. But uh, so that was you know that was a little surprising for both of those things. Um, but other than those, other than those issues. Um, the uh, upgrades were really pretty. I mean, the upgrades were flawless. I was pretty amazed. Everything, all the other settings were retained. I can't remember if the backgrounds and stuff. I think those were all reset. You know, themes and backgrounds. I think were all reset, which is probably. I don't know. I don't know if that's the right way to do it or not. I can't decide. Sometimes I feel like they should try to retain those settings, but. Um, but anyway, so those were those were pretty good as far as you know just the the experience itself as far as the desktop goes and everything. I mean it's you know typical typical Ubuntu typical GNOME um, GNOME two dot twenty. It's got some pretty nice features. I still don't know if I'm entirely thrilled with the whole you know consolidating everything under appearances in terms of fonts and colors and window decorations and all of that. I mean it looks good, but. I did find a bug. If you go into appearances and you click on any of the help buttons in any of those sub tabs, no help menu um, pops up. And I was going to post a bug report, and it was actually already reported. Um, and I think they said there was already a fix committed. So uh, I guess that was a known problem. But um, but other than that, I mean, it looked really nice. It looked good, and uh, you know, I mean, typical, you know, just sort of you know evolutionary steps forward. Nothing too major. Everything ran, seemed to run fine. I didn't have any crashes or anything like that. Now, on my 64-bit machine, as I said, I uh, did a fresh install of this one. And this I actually did using the text-based alternate install ISO image, which I kind of like. I like that version rather than using the live CD. The installation was perfectly fine. Typical Debian or Ubuntu uh, installation using the NCURSES, uh you know installer. Went on just fine. Rebooted just fine um you know and really for the most part everything was fine i i always have to do some finagling with my system because i have all kinds of shared uh, resources i actually usually have to change my user id and my group id so i can mount these other drives and things i have and to keep everything consistent so once i got all that stuff done then i started downloading some applications and testing some things out uh now, as I said, I usually don't run 64-bit versions of operating systems. I, I, you know, I just tend to stick with the 32-bit. Everything seems to run fine, and I really don't notice much of a speed difference at all between 64 and 32-bit. Um, but uh, this was the first time I did encounter some issues. You know, first of all, I had Firefox, and so then at one point I wanted to install Flash. Well, I knew that there was no 60-bit, 64-bit version of Flash uh, for Linux, so. Uh, after Googling around and after hearing Pat again talk about it on the Linux Link Tech Show, I realized that I could use something that I know from FreeBSD, which is the NS Plugin Wrapper. And that's something that FreeBSD uses to get Flash running in FreeBSD, except it uses it for Linux emulation. You know, you have the Linux binaries, you have the Linux Flash, and you use NS Plugin Wrapper to run the Linux Flash on with a FreeBSD native Firefox. Well, in this case, it's similar. You have a native Firefox, a native 64-bit version of Firefox, and you use the NS plugin wrapper to run the 32-bit um, Flash plugin. Uh, and there were some things in the forums about it, but it turns out if you have a 64-bit, um, you know, uh, installed, then if you just do apt-get install non-free dash, um, what is it, Flash plugin or something like that, Flash plugin player, it automatically installed the NS plugin wrapper. So that was 
very nice. So that was cool. And that after that, Flash worked just fine as far as Flash working at all. I mean, I, I, I have issues with Flash, but uh, um, but it but it but it installed. Uh, then I needed to install uh, the Java plugin for this one site that I like to visit, sci-fi.com. And I think my bank uses some Java, but I actually don't need it for that. But then I realized, obviously, that there's no 64-bit version of the of the Java plugin either. Uh, so there's something called Ice-T, which is a plugin that lets you run Java without having to ins- I guess you can install the 32-bit Firefox and run 32-bit Flash or use the 32-bit Firefox and the 32-bit Java. But similar to the NS plugin wrapper, there's something called Ice-T, which lets you run, I guess, the 32-bit Java plugin in the 64-bit Firefox. So I've got that installed, and it works on some sites. doesn't work on other sites. One site I always like to test Java at is a games site. It's called darkfish.com, and it has just a few Java games like they have one called Reversi, which is like Othello. They have a couple others. Just very simple JavaScript games. And that site doesn't work with the Ice-T plugin, unfortunately. So that's, you know, so it's not perfect. But uh, it does, I think it worked for sci-fi.com. I, or that was for Flash. There's some other site that I've got that I've got to use Java that's not coming to the front of my mind at the moment. But other anyway, it, it, you know, for the most part, it seemed to work okay. And then the last thing um, trying to install was Skype. And I don't use Skype anymore, really. Um, but there's a reason I needed to install it, and I'll mention that in a minute. But um, then I realized, of course, that, again, no 64-bit version of Skype for Linux. Then I did find some instructions on a blog post about installing a few additional um, 32-bit libraries and then downloading the um, the static version of Skype, which, uh, you know, what that means is, uh, you know, the st- I guess the static Libraries meaning everything's contained within uh, the application itself, and then that works seems to work fine. It installed and it runs, and I was able to connect to Skype. I haven't actually made any calls with it, uh, but that seems to work okay. Uh, the reason I needed to use the or get the Skype client working is because I've actually was invited to to participate in this roundtable on the Fresh Ubuntu podcast. They had actually asked me last week when I think they were trying to record, it, and I guess. I wasn't able to, and they were, had some technical difficulties, so they were so they're rescheduling. So we're going to do that, I think, at some point this week, and I don't know when that will exactly will come out, but um, I think they usually use Skype for that. So now, hopefully, I will be able to use Skype while using the 64-bit uh, Ubuntu Gutsy um, while I'm recording that uh, podcast. So that would be kind of cool. Uh, so overall, uh, I mean, I definitely would have to give it a thumbs up. It seems real nice. It's nice how the comp is, is enabled, you know, for those who have, oh, I should say on my desktop, my main desktop, I have an NVIDIA card. And so once I clicked, you know, the thing to have that installed, that did install it and built the driver and restarted X and it worked just fine. Um, but it's very nice. I mean, the everything seems really good. I did have some crashing issues with Claws Mail, which is a email client I like to use. It seemed to hang on some emails. Um, but those all tended to be emails that had GPG keys. Not every single one, but only certain ones. I don't know if that had something to do with it or not. But but other than these other little things here and there, um, it seems like another solid release. It's just another nice little step forward and uh, little improvements here and there. Um, some of the nice things in Home 2.20, you know, the little issue they've had with the resizing of the buttons in the taskbar, you know, for the minimized windows, was always a, um, a thing that bugged me. And now they've fixed that you know, in the panel, that is. 
so that that's really nice. And some of the other things in GNOME 2.20, for the most part, you know, I mean, everything seems to be working really well. So I enjoy it quite a bit. Uh, let's see. I think that's going to do it for this little discussion of Ubuntu. I think I'm going to, you know, I'll talk more during the Fresh Ubuntu podcast, but I wanted to kind of get my general thoughts out there. Overall, definitely a thumbs up, you know, um, probably the best release of Ubuntu yet. Uh, so I definitely recommend people check it out. All right, I've got a listener tip, and then let's check out some emails. Just a quick listener tip. By using double exclamation marks in the shell, you can quickly reference the previously run command. For instance, say you forget to type sudo before the command vi space slash etsy slash hosts. As a normal user, the file will be opened read-only. You can then exit vi and quickly type sudo space exclamation mark exclamation mark and the shell will see that as you typing sudo space vi space slash etsy slash hosts and will open the file using the sudo command. Another example might be if you execute a command and forget to specify the full path. One example might be ifconfig. On some systems, this is not in the path by default. If you happen to forget to type slash sbin the first time around, you can follow it up with the command slash sbin slash exclamation mark exclamation mark, and the shell will see that as slash sbin slash ifconfig. The double exclamation marks will only reference the previously run command, and because it is translated by the shell as the previously run command, if you scroll up in your history, you will see the full command, not just sudo space exclamation mark exclamation mark or whatever you happen to enter. I found this to be a huge help, and I hope that it helps some of you. Okay, the first email here is from Christopher. Christopher says, Hey Chess, I think what the listener in episode 79 was talking about with Amrock was because Amrock in Ubuntu uses uh, Zine by default, not GStreamer. When I did a package search, I don't think there is an Amrock GStreamer. I'm not sure, but I think you have to install libzine-extracodex to get it to work, or something along those lines at any rate. Um, he can do that, of course, either through system administration synaptic, other, um, then do a search on it, or do you uh, use uh, sudo apt-get install libzine-extracodex. And that's Christopher from Trinidad. Thanks, Christopher. Yeah, a couple people emailed me about that. I remember kind of fumbling through that, thinking that that listener with Amarok needed to install GStreamer. And again, it just goes to show you how little I use Amarok. Turns out Amrock doesn't use GStreamer to Ubuntu. It uses Zine for a backend. So, um, yeah, would have to install those uh, Zine packages. Thank you, Christopher. Here's one from Dwayne. Dwayne says, Chess, my church, my church just started using SlideShare to share sermon outlines online with MP3s of the sermons. I had never seen this before. When I went to the SlideShare webpage, I searched. I discovered there was a bunch of slideshows on Linux in there. Have you seen this? Just wanted to share my discovery with you. Take care, Dwayne. Dwayne, I have not seen this. That's very interesting. Um, yeah, I, you know, some slideshows uh, um, about Linux and, you know, things like that. It was very cool. So that's called SlideShare. Uh, here's one from Suri. Suri says, I have a suggestion for Linux Reality Podcast. I think you should add a new section called Tip of the Day where you give listeners a useful tip on each episode. An example tip would be pressing Alt-F2 to quickly launch applications. Thanks from Suri. Well, Suri, yeah, well, that's actually why we have the listener tip section. 
um, my idea of that, I had actually thought of doing a tip every single episode a long time ago, back in the very beginning, but I wanted to sort of, you know, get some listener participation, and that's why I wanted to make them listener tips, so listeners could contribute little bite-sized uh, tips like you just did with pressing F2 for launching applications. Uh, so if you ever want to record something, uh, please send it to me. That would be awesome. Here's one from James. James uh, says, hey, just to say, wow, I was looking for a technical podcast on Linux and stumbled across your site. Very interesting topics on file partitions, the GIMP, and Vim. Well thought, uh, well done, and your easygoing style makes it easy to listen to. I was out cutting fir bushes on our farm for over two hours uh, before I realized it was your podcast that kept me going, and I lost track of the work effort. Again, well done, and I'll certainly spread the word. Thanks, James. Wow, that's very cool, James. Thanks very much. It's great listening, you know, um, um, having podcasts to listen to. I use them. Uh, I've got listened to so many podcasts. It's a great way to sort of fill the time when you're working on something or traveling or driving or riding in the train or anything like that. Thank you very much, James. Here's one from Don. Don says, Chess, I have two computers, one running Windows Vista and the other Ubuntu 7.10. As a longtime Windows user, I have utilized Adobe Illustrator for years and have purchased numerous upgrades during that time. My present Illustrator version will not run in Vista, therefore, I have been contemplating the purchase of the newest version. The two-part podcast on Inkscape demonstrated that it is no longer necessary to spend money on Illustrator because Inkscape will completely satisfy my needs. Thanks to Richard Quarren for an excellent tutorial on Inkscape, and thanks to you for an entertaining and informative podcast, one of which made me aware of vector graphics software for my Linux box. And that's from Don. That is awesome. And uh, just like with the great episode on the GIMP, I take absolutely no credit whatsoever for the episodes on Inkscape. That was all Richard's part, all Richard's doing. He was the one. He's the expert. Uh, so, yes, thanks to Richard for doing that. That uh, A lot of people, I think, enjoyed those episodes. Um, and it's so cool to get you know experienced users coming out and contributing some content like that to the show. So thank you to Richard. Here's one from Ryan. Ryan says, I have been a fairly dedicated listener to your podcast for about three or four months now. I love listening in after a long day's work and such. What is your opinion on Ubuntu 7.10? Gutsy Gibbon. <laughs> See, there you go. I have been using Ubuntu 7.04 for a while and have everything that I could possibly want customized exactly how I want it. It took me forever to get Compass Fusion working as well as Wi-Fi. But what would I would love to hear is maybe an episode about firewalls or possibly an episode about Compass Fusion. I know that it would help plenty of newer users of Linux out because they want the eye candy, but don't want to spend the time getting their graphics card working with full 3D acceleration. And at the same time, I would enjoy hearing an episode about firewalls. I've always enjoyed walking up, waking up in the morning and drinking a nice cup of coffee and checking my firewall logs. Up to hear from you soon from Ryan. Well, Ryan... Um, yeah, let's see, about firewalls. Actually, let me hold that thought because the next email is about security as well. As far as the episode on Compass Fusion, you know, I think I said a few minutes ago, I'm, you know, <laughs> I've used it. I mean, I'm not an expert on Compass Fusion. I just don't tend to use it on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, you know, what maybe what would be cool for a guest episode, I think, would be someone who really knows the ins and outs of Compass Fusion, and including the new Compass Settings Manager, which, by the way... I think they should include that in Gutsy. I mean, if they're going to make it all about Compiz, it seems you ought to have that Compiz Settings Manager, whatever it's called, installed as well. But anyway, that's just me. All right, back to this subject, though. I mean, I'd love to have someone contribute a, you know, 
15 to 20 minute segment on getting confidence fusion up and running. Um, I wouldn't focus so much on the 3d acceleration stuff, how to get that working just because every distribution is a little bit different, but you know, maybe cover that in basics. But what I think would be cool the one thing I have the issue with comp is, you know, it's all these plugins. They're very confusing. I don't understand from the names what they do. And I know you can kind of go into them and read a little bit, but even then it doesn't really explain. So one idea for a guest episode would be to have someone go through the plugins and talk about them and explain them. And maybe it would be hard to do, you know, with an audio thing. But I think like the guys did with Inkscape and the GIMP, if you have it in front of you, you can, you know, someone who really knows comp is in and out can probably explain those plugins so that somebody listening would kind of hear what they're all about. That would be cool. All right, last email here. This one's from Jakan. He says, I just found your podcast a few days ago. I've been a system administrator for both Windows and Linux systems. I know going over the basics for SE Linux would help a lot of people. You might need to do a number of shows on just that. The host fire files, firewalls. I ran into App Armor, Armor with the early betas of Ubuntu 7.10, which I think everyone should try out if they hate SC Linux. Well, um, Jakar, yeah, um, let's see. And Ryan's previous email about firewalls and security. A couple of people asked me about this in the forums. I know this has been a long-standing topic where I've said that I want to have an episode or two on security, and I've been trying to find someone. I'd like to find someone to possibly interview, or maybe now even do a guest podcast episode on talking about security and specifically, you know, what do Linux users need to know about security, both for security for the OS and, and, uh, you know, app armor and SC Linux and firewalls and all that kind of stuff. And see, I'm just not a security expert. I mean, I know enough to be dangerous, um, but I'm not the expert. And I'd really like to have someone who works in security be able to talk about it and specifically talk about the Linux thing, such as SC Linux Again, like I said, firewalls, both GUI firewalls as well as how IP tables works. I think that would be very cool, at least just a basic introduction to IP tables. Um, and, I, you know, I haven't been able to find someone who can do that yet. So hopefully that will that will happen and we can have an episode on security. And like I said, if you want to contribute a guest episode, 15, 20, 30 minutes on security or more even, we can make it a two-parter. If anybody listening wants to do that, please contact me and let me know. I think that would be awesome. All right. I think that's going to do it for me as far as the emails go. And I think with that, it's time to wrap it up for this week. Well, thanks again for listening, everybody. I appreciate it. I appreciate all the emails, and I got some more donations this week. Thank you so much. Um, it's you know, it's just it really means a lot to me that people would take the time to send me an email or send me a little donation. All that stuff that you know, the donations definitely help towards my server costs and lips and fees and things like that. So, thank you very much. Please feel free to contact me at linuxreality at gmail.com. You can also go to linuxreality.com slash contact and see the, the voicemail numbers and ways to leave a voicemail. I love getting the voicemails. Of course, you can always just record it as an audio clip and attach it to an email and send it. That would be cool, too. Um, and you can do that for listener tips or for just general feedback and, and you know voicemails, whatever. All that would be great. Um, and we've had some activity in the IRC chat room this week. I've been able to hang out there quite a bit this week. So if you want to do that, please uh, uh, check that out. That's hash Linux reality on irc.freenode.net. And, um, you know, please uh, consider uh, doing a guest episode. If you want to, you know, if you have something you want to talk about, just drop me a line. That would be very cool. 
And otherwise, I hope you all enjoy uh, your week and your weekend and, and have a good time playing with Gutsy. If you haven't uh, got it installed yet, I definitely encourage you to check it out. All right, take care, everybody. Catch you all next time. This has been Episode 84 of Linux Reality. See you later. Bye-bye.